All right, everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. I am your host, Detroit sports writer Noel Bianchi, here today, as always, with longtime Red Wings fan Ethan Smith. Oh, it's good to be back. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd say that. How was your weekend? I can ask you that this time. Uh, it was pretty good. Just, I think I, we watched that new Parasite movie. That was, well, not yeah. new, but like, I haven't seen that yet. And it was great. So highly recommended. And then we watched about like five other. It was a really slow weekend, I guess, yeah. to sum it up. I, uh, I watched the American Pie trilogy for the first time this weekend in between uh, rounds two and three of the NFL draft. But speaking of the NFL draft, we had somebody who was working uh, pretty much all weekend covering that for the Detroit Lions. He also covers the Detroit Red Wings and a whole other assortment of teams. 497 won the ticket. He is Will Birchfield, and today he is joining us to go over Gordie Howe's top five moments as Red Wing, as long as, uh, you know, just some general, general hockey talk. So, Will, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. This is, uh, this is great. It's, it's going about as well as it can right now. Um, obviously, missing sports and missing hockey especially, it seems like right now we should be tuned into uh, probably the conference semis of the playoffs and not having that as a void in my life that I can't replace. Um, but we're, we're soldiering on. Now, especially for you, because you're from Connecticut, where you're staying uh, during this quarantine lockdown. Now, are you are you a Bruins fan, or you know, give us a background on your hockey fandom? Yeah, I'm a big Rangers fan. Uh, I'm a New York sports fan through and oh, through growing up. Okay. So, um, I actually went to school in Boston at Boston College, where I met a whole bunch of obnoxious Bruins fans that I, I call friends to this day. Uh, but I, I grew up a Rangers fan, and I'll tell you what, boys, they uh, were making a really serious playoff push and just finding their game as the lead suspended play. So um, they were about four points out and and moving in the right direction, and then everything happened. So um, I kind of feel like they, they got robbed of the chance of a playoff push. But hopefully, fingers crossed, we can have at least some hockey back this season. Yeah, def- definitely too. Like they – they turned their rebuild around in like, what is it? It's been like two years that they've been really going through this since they sent the message, that letter out to the fans too. And then that for them to be able to make a push like they have been this year, it's been, I was really surprised. I thought they're going to be another bottom five team this year. Yeah, I was surprised too. I, the biggest difference for them was signing Panarin last off season and he's become just an absolute stud. I, I think, I don't think any, any wings fans would be surprised by that because he, he was the bread man in Chicago, and, and then he went to Columbus and was as, as good there. And, and he, he, to me, I'm biased, boys, but to me, he was the MVP of the league this year. I don't think any player had as big of an impact on his team as Panarin did. The, the other thing for them was, was Mika Zibanejad went from a borderline number one center to an indisputed number one center. Um, you guys remember his five-goal game against the Capitals back in, I think, late February so those two guys alone if you, if you get two bona fide all-stars in the NHL especially down the middle with Mika you can you can go places and that that took them from honestly like you said Ethan bottom five team to a playoff contender in a, in a matter of a year and then another thing that I think is interesting kind of about the rebuild that they have going on there too is it's come with this symbolic thing of everybody left and and it was a very emotional thing when they sent out that letter that Ethan mentioned saying we're going to go through a rebuild and 
We're going to ship off a lot of familiar faces. One of those guys who stayed was Hendrick Lundqvist. And then this year you have the emergence of Georgie Evans to Shorkin. Uh, two guys who have really kind of just taken the bull by the horns in the net. You know, what has that been like just kind of moving into this new era uh, as a fan, you know, and, and Lundqvist behind? And if they get to this next level, they win a cup, it's, it's going to be without Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, for a fan, I got to be honest, it's, it's been conflicting emotions because um, my youngest Rangers days, the Rangers were terrible. And it wasn't until Lundqvist came onto the scene as a rookie in the first post lockout season that they were good. And then he carried them for the next 10 years um, and took them to the playoffs and took them to the cup finals against the Kings in 2014. And it, he always seemed like the guy who would eventually get them over the hump. So now that they're kind of moving on without him, it's, it's, I think it's tough from a fan's perspective for mine, at least because um, he's the reason that the Rangers gave me my, my first good memories um, of, of, of an NHL team. But look, the tandem of Georgiev and Shesterkin is probably one of the most um, enviable tandems in the NHL. Uh, Georgiev is, is a great goalie, and he's probably going to be traded this offseason, if, if not next season. And Shesterkin looks like the real deal. So um, it, it's been conflicting emotions for sure, but it's exciting to know that they're set up in net for, for what looks like the next 15 years. You just kind of touched on some of the things that have helped uh, the Rangers kind of expedite that rebuild. I think a lot of fans here are looking for a way for the Red Wings to expedite a rebuild. Uh, you know, they, I, I see a lot of crazy things online, like the Red Wings should go out and try and get Tory Krug this summer. Mm. Uh, just, you know, bananas kind of, you know, line of thinking. But what is a way that, you know, the Red Wings, that you could see the Red Wings having their rebuild expedited maybe organically and in a way that doesn't hurt them in the, in the long term? I think the biggest question for me right now with the Red Wings, um, and you guys would probably agree, is where are they going to find a goalie? Um, I, I think a lot of us had, had high hopes for, for Philippe Larson entering last season. I think we still do. He, he put up terrific numbers um, in college at Denver, and, and those weren't um, smoke and mirrors. I mean, he's a really good goalie. And this seemed like the year where he would probably take over the net in the AHL, and then maybe by next camp, He's pushing for a spot in Detroit. None of that happened. He had a really tough year um, in the AHL and even in the ECHL. That was disappointing. Um, so they have to figure out where the goalie solution is going to come from, if not from Larson. And then I'm excited to see if Maurice Sider can be the legitimate number one defenseman that it looks like he has the potential to be. Because if that's the case, then, then you've solved – and you filled one hole in this rebuild. Uh, number one center, I think, is the other one that still remains up for debate. Larkin can be it. He's not it yet, but he could be. If Sider can be that number one defenseman, then, then you start talking about having an effective organic rebuild. Real quick, guys, before we continue on, if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. I think I ordered food about four to five times this weekend, sitting from the couch, uh, had it delivered through Postmates right to my door with a contactless delivery. Uh, it was great. And right now, you know, I can kind of justify my laziness uh, because the, you know, just everything that's going on in the world. And uh, so when I order food from my local restaurants now, everything gets left right outside my door. I don't have to make contact with another human being. It's great. Uh, they also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been able to use to order from my favorite takeout local restaurants. Uh, you know, times right now, pretty tough. 
a lot of local businesses are suffering. I think I read somewhere that, you know, there's expected 40,000 uh, restaurants to go out of business from the aftermath of this pandemic. And so you guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. They need you more than ever. Uh, and I've been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They also make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off right outside my door. I love me some uh, spicy, sweet chili Doritos that I've been ordering uh, quite frequently. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100. Did you hear that, Ethan? $100. Are you serious? $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your deliveries, just download the app and use the code Locked On. That's code Locked On for one, say it with me, $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. And that's $100. I don't know if you guys heard me. $100. Where do you stand, uh, you know, just kind of going back to the goaltending thing, where do you stand on uh, Keith Petrozell? He had a great season in Quinnipiac this year, but as we kind of see with Larson, those great numbers in the NCAA don't always necessarily translate to success in the NHL. Yeah, I like Petrozelli, and, and it's tough because we're, we're not judging him based off the same numbers that we were judging Larson off of last year. Um, I, I, I do think that, that – by next season, the, the trials that Larson dealt with this year should help him. I still think he's the most promising goalie in the system. I, I think just from an eye test, um, he looks like the guy that, that could be the number one, maybe in 2022. It's a weird time in the goalie situation for Detroit because Howard's probably gone after the season. You've got Bernier, but he's not any kind of long-term solution. Hopefully, entering next season, they can figure out what that piece looks like more than just a year in the future. I mean, the, the wings have basically gone year to year now with goalies ever since Mrazek left. And it, it, there's just such a cloud of uncertainty there. Yeah, what I really don't want to see and what I, I have complete faith in Eisman not to do is to go out and try and not even get a big fish. Like I don't think he'd ever go after like Holpe or something like that, but you know, I, I almost don't want him to overpay for a goalie. That's going to be like 29. Like, um, Oh crap. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Vegas' is goalie played for Chicago earlier in the year. Robin Lehner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I don't I, – I'd prefer him not to go down that route because, I mean, you see what we got Bernier for another year at $3 million. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to go out or see the Red Wings go out and do this offseason that can make them better for next year while, while still kind of, you know, abiding by the terms of the long-term rebuild? Yeah, you know what's funny, Nolan, um, is that – when you were mentioning Krug and Banana Land and, and, and how it just seems like an off-the-wall idea, I actually wrote a story about uh, maybe a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, um, basically advocating for the idea of signing Krug. And I know it sounds wild, and, and I'm not usually one um, to, to, to make those suggestions, make, make the splash signing. But I think between the Blashill and Krug relationship, which is well-documented, um, there's a really good base there. And the fact that he, Krug is still 28, turns 29 this month, wouldn't be 30 until the end of next season. Look, at some point, you have to have someone who can play with Cider. Cider, for, for all of his defensive prowess, is, is just that. He's probably going to be a limited offensive, but really good defensive defenseman. Who can play with him? Um, I, I think that's a role Krug could step into well. And 
I think one thing we forget sometimes in, in assessing where the team would be with a player like Krug is that they themselves expedite that timeline by arriving. So if, if one of the things you're missing is a number one offensive defenseman, his addition to the system all of a sudden solves that. And so if you, if you, if you can convince yourself that, that you'll be competitive within the next three to four years, and I think Eisman would like to think they are, I think there's an argument to be made that you can give Krug the money this summer, maybe five years, and still get his best years as this thing begins to get competitive again. So um, I, I wouldn't bet money on it, but I, I do think that they should consider um, um, bringing Krug back home. Now, I, I, I can't argue with that logic, and I guess I'm curious to know because you know there's, a, there's an impending cap situation yeah. that's coming this summer where nobody quite knows what it's going to be, how it's going to impact the league, how it's going to impact the players and all of that other stuff. But just based on a hunch and stuff that you've been reading and looking at, does that help the Red Wings in a situation like this? Yeah, I think it benefits them um, because they're, they're going to have tons of cap space this season either way. Uh, they, they're, they've got a lot of contracts coming off the books. They, they've, they're looking at something like $35 million, upwards of 40 Even if that cap comes down, they're going to be comfortably above 30 they'll be one of the only teams who have that luxury. So I guess the question is, do they want to spend, right? If they want to spend, then it's their benefit. If, if Eisenman isn't inclined to go out and make a big signing yet, then maybe it's a moot point. But I do think that it benefits them because there's going to be a lot of teams that get priced out of certain players based on that cap lowering. That won't happen to the wings either way. So what it will do, I would think, is it basically it narrows the funnel for teams that can sign – player X, player Y, or player Z, um, and the Wings will, will stay in that mix either, either way. So we should probably transition here into, uh, you know, some Gordie Howe moments. That is why we brought you on. You wrote an yeah. article about four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and we do have our, our championship round of our 64-man tournament deciding the greatest Red Wings figure of all time. Now, just kind of up front, do you have a, uh, do you have a selection, Iserman or Gordie Howe, in this final round? Or you know, what are the pros and cons of each in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's impossible to, to vote against Gordie Howe. Uh, I think it's impossible to vote against anyone nicknamed Mr. Hockey. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, Stevie was the captain and one of the greatest wings of all time and one of the greatest players of all time. But – I don't know how you can um, unseat Mr. Hockey here. He did everything. And you don't see – maybe the closest player to Gordie Howe today is Alex Ovechkin in, in the way that he combines some old school some old school snarl and some old school toughness with the ability to score and the new school, new school skill. Um, but Gordie Howe is, is unprecedented in Wings history and almost unprecedented in NHL history. And we'll see that in some of these moments that we, uh, we have to talk about. Now, number five, you have listed uh, Gordie Howe long, you know, his time with the Red Wings comes to an end. Uh, he goes to Hartford to play with his son, uh, yeah. Mark Howe, and uh, he scores a goal against the Montreal Canadiens in the Montreal Forum uh, on a pass from his son. So that was, that's, that's very special. Yeah, extremely special. And I, <laughs> We mentioned Mark Howe. It's amazing. Mark Howe almost got a raw deal in this whole, in this whole situation because <laughs> he's a Hall of Fame player who no one knows about because his dad was so freaking good. Like, Mark Howe played almost 1,000 games in the NHL 
uh, as a defenseman, almost a point per game, three-time All-Star. Like I'm looking at his stuff now, and and people uh, basically, you know, just they don't even bat an eye at the guy because his dad was a was a legend. Um, but I think for Gordy to be able to play with him at the end, obviously, was extremely special. And at that point, um, Gordy had been in the, you know, he was on like a 40-year career. And, and I think to, to get that last goal and, and to, to have it assisted by his son in Canada, you know, at an, at an original six arena, I think that probably brought things full circle for, for Gordy. One of the things that's kind of funny about that, you mentioned uh... – he kind of got a raw deal on the whole thing. I, something I thought about today, it's Nicholas Lidstrom's 50th birthday as we're recording this. Happy birthday, Nick. Yeah. Uh, and I, I saw on Twitter his son wished him a happy birthday, and the first thing that came to my mind was, like, can you imagine your dad <laughs> being nicknamed the perfect human? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no thanks, man. I w- that's, a, that's an impossible standard to live up to. You would never be able to get away with anything. You'd be like, Dad, <laughs> Dad, can't you, can't you understand why I mess? He'd be like, no, I can't. No, you'd, you'd bring home a 99 on your math test. You'd be like, that, that doesn't go on the fridge. That's not perfect. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to see that here. <laughs> so uh, we got number four. Uh, Gordy Howe extends his, his career from five decades to six decades. Yeah. Uh, he begins in 1946. Uh, it ends officially in 1997. When, at the age of 70, he plays a game for the Detroit Vipers of the International Hockey League. Uh, finally, you know, when it's all said and done has 2,344 games played, but it's kind of funny that this is on the list because we actually had somebody, uh, you know, one of the guys who's been doing the bracket with us, uh, Sergio Colchester, the listeners know him. Uh, he harped on going to that game and and how much it meant to him and how much his dad, he remembers his dad placing an emphasis on, on like, Hey, I'm going to get you to this game because you need to see Gordie Howe play. Yeah, um, I, and that probably speaks to how long Gordy played, right? That he was able to play in front of fathers and sons, right? A father who grew up watching him play could then take his son to, to a game because Gordy played for five, six decades. Um, that probably more than anything speaks to how long he was around for. It's awesome that it ended in Detroit with the Vipers. Um, like 1997 wasn't that long ago. Like this right, man right. was still playing hockey, a career that began in 19, like 1946 to me is like never happened. Like it's black and white history. Right. Books. And 1997, I have memories of in my brain. And this guy spanned all of those years. Like <laughs> this is Yarmir Yager's career times 10. It's just amazing how long he played for. And that maybe amid all the stats, that might be the most impressive one. Well, then my favorite thing about it is that, like, he just had to play a game in the 90s, but he waited until 1997. Right, right, right. So it was just, you know, just dancing on the graves of anybody who said he couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, we have number three, a bounce back from injury. Mr. Hockey almost wasn't Mr. Hockey. He took a pretty nasty hit, went headfirst into the boards, was knocked unconscious, fractured his skull, uh, and was told he would likely never play again. Uh, you, I, I love the way you uh, phrase this at the end. You said, so Gordy returned the following season and led the league in scoring. Yeah, well, you talk about dancing on graves, right? Like that goes back to the, to the doubters and critics. And I'm sure it was more than one doctor who said, listen, don't play again. Your career's over. And, and to him, that was just a simple challenge, right? Don't tell me I can't because then I will. Um, I think there were probably a lot of teams who 
for wishing those doctors hadn't said that. Like, don't add fuel to this guy's fire. Yeah. Don't need any any more motivation um, to tear us apart. But you talk about toughness. I mean, th- there's no better indication of it than that. I mean, he was rushed to the hospital, might not play again, and he comes back, and he's still the best player in the league. That, again, just personifies, I think, everything he was about. Well, if you want to talk toughness, not only could he take it, but he could give it as well, and that's number two on your list. Uh, his most memorable bare-knuckle moment came during the 1948 All-Star Game, writes Will Birchfield, uh, when he dropped the gloves with Gus Mortensen. It remains the only fight in NHL All-Star Game history. I mean, that's yeah, that's just so classic Gordie Howe. Like, of course, that was one of those, of course, it is, you know. Right, and, and that's, I mean, right, the Gordie Howe hatchet, right? The goal assist in the fight. You have to have the fight in the mix to complete it. And, of course, he goes and does it in the All-Star Game. And <laughs> I'm looking back at this now, too, and I love the quote uh, from, from one reporter who was covering that game. Uh, well, actually, in fact, this, this is a fight involving uh, a New York Ranger. So Lou Fontenato in, in 1959 sucker punched Howe. Howe responds by basically beating the guy into submission. Um, and, and Fontenato's face was, was so disfigured after the game that one reporter writes, quote, it looked like he ran the 100-yard dash in a 90-yard gym. <laughs> so, this was this was this was the kind of mark that that Gordy the lit the literal mark that Gordy Howe left left on on people's bodies. You know, one thing that I love, and I I like look back at a lot of uh, I'm a big fan of just looking back through old newspapers, like from from really any time. I was working on a story that never came to fruition. That you know, it was kind of a a look back at something that occurred, and it was either the 30s or 40s. I can't remember. Uh, but I was reading lots of newspapers. They they took way more creative liberties mm. back then. They they got yeah. away with a lot more of those those old newspaper men. Yeah, they were basically all New York Post headline writers. <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything goes. It was a beautiful time probably to be a, a creative journalist. Oh, and then we have wrapping up this list of five, uh, his 1,000th career goal. Uh, he was a spry 49 years old at the time. Uh, you say here, he'd finished the season, by the way, with 34 goals and 96 points in 76 games. That to me is just something that I can't even really Sir. necessarily wrap my head around. Yeah, I can't either. I, I only wish I had been born a few years earlier. Being from Connecticut, Gordy did have a, a stint with the Hartford Whalers too. Um, and and I've heard stories about, about his days with the Whalers. In fact, uh, the Hartford Whalers – this is in the early 90s, did a promotional tour through Connecticut where they stopped off and played with basically different men's league teams um, in, in the preseason to kind of generate fan interest. Now, Gordy Howe and this traveling group of whalers came up to where my parents live. I was maybe one years old at the time. And my dad, who, who was a, a hockey goalie, played, played hockey in college, was part of this men's league squad that Gordy and the whalers came to play against. So my dad had, had a game against Gordie Howe. Gordie Howe, in the middle of this exhibition game, gets a breakaway, and he comes down on my dad one-on-one, and my dad somehow makes this improbable save. So he's, right, geeked out of his mind. Like, this is my career highlight. You know, he was a, a national runner-up and, and played for, for 25 years, but there's nothing better than, than stoning Gordie Howe in a breakaway. So afterwards, he asks Gordie if Gordie can sign a puck for him, the puck that he stonewalled Gordy Howe on. So Gordy Howe says, yeah, sure. So he signs it, Dear Lucky, from Gordy Howe. So my, <laughs> wow. dad, my dad has that puck on his, uh, on his office desk to this day. Wow. That's the kind of stuff that, like, those, 
those legends in history, like they just have that moxie where they just like write that one thing. Yeah. They, like any, anything they say is just like this. I don't even know how to, how to describe it, but it's like this mystical lifelong impression inducing. Yeah. You know, just kind of attitude and everything they do and say it's, it's fascinating. I don't know that there's a lot of people in hockey history who, who can say that, but a lot of them, you know, did play for the Red Wings. Ted Lindsay is probably another one of them that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, absolutely. There. Yeah. He just, it just added to the the legend of, of everything that he does. Right. And, and for, for that story, there's probably hundreds of others that he leaves that impression on people because he's just the man. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now you, uh, you are like, we've, you know, kind of been touching on, you know, throughout this whole thing, you are obviously a big hockey fan. And one of, uh, one of the first things that I ever kind of like really uh, saw by you uh, when I started following you on Twitter, you posted a story. Uh, it's actually your pinned tweet. You can follow him at Birchie underscore kid uh, on Twitter. We'll throw that in the, uh, the episode description so you can find him there. Uh, but it's, it's about this tournament that takes place in Mexican town. Um, it's a very, very great read. Uh, I actually passed it the other day. I was having lunch or I picked up lunch from Takiero Ray, uh, nice. but I passed it and I, it kind of came to mind. That's actually what kind of ended up, you know, encouraging me to uh, think about reaching out to you, but you know, what are some, can you just describe that event to people who, who have never done it before? And you know, what is, uh, where is hockey alive and well in the city of Detroit? Yeah, it's certainly alive and well at, at the at the Clark Park, which is, like you said, a Mexican town. Uh, about five years ago, uh, they started what's called the Clark Street Classic, and it was designed to be a tournament to raise money for the Clark Park youth hockey program and for the Clark Park itself. It's the last outdoor rink in Detroit. There used to be uh, about 10, maybe 10 plus scattered across the the city at large and over the years and of course in recession they just were lost to time and this was the one that made that was that stayed standing and so that was due in large part to a community effort within Mexican town and by a number of volunteers um, to to protect one of the last gems of of Detroit and especially in that part of the city so there's all kinds of fundraisers this hockey tournament is one Five years ago, it starts, and it was, you know, it was kind of put together as most things like that are haphazardly the first year, but since then, it's grown to include, I think this year was with 16 teams, and there's two different divisions, and it's basically become now the best outdoor hockey tournament um, in maybe Michigan. I mean, there's, there's uh, a number of teams with former college players and, and former um, former, you know, Division One college players, former USHL players, and so it's really high-level hockey, and it's all played outside under the lights. And I don't think anything anything beats that. Well, I just wanted to uh, bring that up because I did really enjoy that story, and I wanted to tell our listeners uh, to go check that out if they haven't read it already. Now, one last question, uh, you know, true hockey guy, you did cut your hair uh, <laughs> a little bit, like a year ago, probably. Yeah, it was in November, so about half a year ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was for a great cause. I think he donated to locks of love. Is that correct? I think yeah. I remember seeing that. Uh, but before that I got, I got to ask, uh, cause you had a great head of hair. What kind of shampoo <laughs> did you use? <laughs> so I, I, I bounced around for a while. Uh, and then actually I was having this discussion, uh, after I covered a Michigan football game with Chase Winovich, cause he also has uh, some flowing locks 
And he, he commented on my hair one day during a press scrum. And so I had to ask him what kind of shampoo he uses. Uh, back then I was using Pantene Pro-V. He encouraged me to switch to Aussie. So I'm, I'm an Aussie guy, the purple bottle with the uh, kangaroo. Okay. All right. I can appreciate it. I'm a mane and tail guy myself, but you know, I, I, uh, I respect Mane and tail is solid. Mane and tail is real good. I don't even know that it, you know, really is that much better, but I just like the idea of like, if it's obviously made for horses for a reason, <laughs> yeah. so it's gotta be doing something. Yeah. Yeah. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. <laughs> well, Will, where, uh, where else can people find you online? You can find me online on, on 97winthetickets.com. Um, I have constant Red Wings coverage on there. You can find me on Twitter, like you guys said. Appreciate that. Um, and you can see me on the occasion on Sunday nights on the Fox 2 Sportsworks. Excellent. Well, we certainly enjoyed having you on. We hope, you, uh, we hope you'll come back on again, you know, maybe share some more uh, hockey and Connecticut stories. Yeah, sounds good, guys. Thanks a lot.